Welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. This is D-Ray Brinson. And you know the Stay Woke Podcast is presented by thesonicbreakdown.com. Thank you again for joining us for another, you know what this one is. It's going to be a special, exclusive Saturday released episode. And it's going to be the Black Panther Review. Um, we got a special panel that's going to break down this uh, movie. And uh, let's start. Uh, we have Spencer. You heard him on several podcasts before, as well as Miss Alana Jane. Um, she's been on a lot of our comic book or superhero movies, as well as other podcasts as well. And then we have Benjamin Ananowo, which was uh, the host of the Wakanda Report series that we did, the five-part series that you definitely should check out if you haven't seen the movie. And if you have seen the movie, you should still check it out, as well as I know a lot of people still haven't been able to watch the movie. So you're still deciding what you're going to wear. Definitely go out to the sunandbreakdown.com and check out um, the five artists or five fashion designs that you can wear to the Black Panther premiere, which was also ran by Benjamin Nanawa as well. So uh, let's kick it off. We are here at the Wakandan Report. We're live. Just let it be known, there are spoilers. So if you have been following the Wakanda Report, our five-part series, this now is the end, but really it is not an end. It is a beginning into Wakanda. I am Benjamin Ananawo. You can follow me on Instagram at Cousin Benji. And we are here to go ahead and discuss the review of the Black Panther film. So we're here with Spencer, and we are here with Alana. So, Spencer, Alana. Go ahead and tell me first, what were your expectations for the Black Panther movie? I got to say, with all the social media hype that was going around and, and just the discussions that we're having like from group chats and just uh, one of my friends in person, I had pretty, you know, pretty high hopes for it. Generally, I don't do that for most films because I feel like you have a low expectation. That's probably the best way to go in. Mm-hmm. Less chances to be disappointed. But this one exceeded my expectations. They it 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 hit on all the cylinders that I that I really hoped it it would, and then some things that I didn't expect, which was I think the best part about it. There was even from the very beginning, I, you know, I was getting surprised. So it was a well well put together film, and I, I'm planning to see it again. Oh, most definitely, and we're gonna to touch on that beginning. So, Alana, how did you? What were your expectations coming into the film? Uh, they were quite high. Um, I've been into. The- I would say a solid working majority, probably close to 80 or 90% being been into what the, uh, what the MCU has offered me. And then seeing that cast, uh, knowing what Chadwick Boseman was going to bring to the role, even if no one else was going to bring it. But then I saw the <laughs> cast list and I was like, yeah. And then we're giving it to Ryan Coogler and I was like, there's no way this isn't going to be great. And it just, it just killed me. It was so good. It was so good. And it's not for me. I'm a white lady. Let me put that right out there. And it, it was so good anyway. I'm so glad I saw it. I want to see it again also. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. I would, you know, piggybacking off of both of you all, the social media hype was just ecstatic. It was just completely just out here. And if you really look at it, too, it's just like a lot of Marvel films, they get production, which the Black Panther got a lot of like production, got a lot of hype put out there from its marketing team. But I mean, the fan base was driving from the moment that they knew this film was going to happen. Every time you found out this person's in the movie, that person's in the movie, like the memes started rolling through and it was just became popping. And I will just say this where it's like, if anybody wants to put it in their number one film for Marvel films, I have no problem with you. Uh, Second, third, fourth. But all I know is you cannot, you cannot. Go ahead and have a top five MCU films without putting the Black Panther in there. The Black Panther basically has turned into like the Andre 3000, like of this era. Like, you can't put a top five together and be like, whoa, where Andre at though? <laughs> so it's like the same thing. Like, the Black Panther has to actually go ahead and be in here. So we touched a little bit on the beginning. So just for our listeners to go ahead and know, because we've got some international listeners. We've got some listeners in New York. We got some people down south. We got some people in the Midwest and Kansas. You know, shout out to the Jayhawks basketball team because I know you'll probably rock with them because it can be a little boring in Kansas. But (laughs) y'all go ahead and y'all keep it here locked in on the Stay Woke podcast is this film started out in Oakland, the Bay. Too short was playing straight from Oakland. 
And we ain't talking about Gambino's like Telegraph Oakland. We're talking about some old school too short was played. What y'all think about that? 1992. 1992 Oakland. First of all, the first thing I say, I went to the premiere uh, at Grand Lake Theater in Oakland. Mm. And it was uh, like they had like a private event. There was like kind of regular seating. And then they had the private thing. So even before the event started, like it was like. Davy D, the uh, hip hop historian, he was like the DJ there. Oh, like, that's live. They had African drumming. They had like dancing performances all before like the show started. And then I, I promise you, like we blacked out that theater. And when I tell you that when like the opening scene, when they show Oakland, nineteen ninety two, the theater erupted. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was um, it was almost hidden. That was one of the best surprises of the film. Best kept secret. No, no one knew that it's like, and I'm a huge comic book fan. I am a working screenwriter. I am trying to go ahead and constantly analyze films and stuff. And there were some things I figured out from just watching the trailer, from going ahead and studying and being a comic book head. I had no idea that they would start the film out in Oakland. I was, I was, hope, I was hoping there might be a drop of the bay in there because you can hear in the trailer that Killmonger is, is African-American. Like he's not from Africa, like mm-hmm. all the other characters. And then I was like, and it's Coogler and it's Coogler. Cause he's from Oakland. And I was like, maybe, but then yeah, being in the bay and seeing that reveal, like seeing, seeing the, the font coalesce into the words. It was, oh, it's everything. It was awesome. Oh yeah. Fruitville station, uh, Ryan Coogler, his first, uh, claim to fame mm-hmm. as a amazing director and uh, writer and writer. And then moving on uh, with Creed, also once again being a writer, being a director, working again with Michael B. Jordan and being so close. Uh, and they have just basically been a super team. Like it's basically like Brady and Gronk out here. They they win in chips. They doing their thing. Obviously, though, you know, Brady and Gronk, they ain't win no chip this past year. <laughs> but a lot of people are happy about that. Including so, <laughs> yeah. D-Ray and me were talking about this earlier today. And, and Mr. Coogler is a smooth 31 years old. My hat 31. Off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he. Uh, with three hits. With mm. with three hits. Three, Pay that man. Three films. Three films with above a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and pretty much everything else. They trying to franchise tag him if you understand sports, you understand football. They trying to levy on Bellum. They trying to levy on Bellum. <laughs> Kirk they trying to go him. ahead and Kirk Cousins him. Not Kirk, but Kirk. <laughs> they trying to go ahead and do that to him. Pay that man his money, Hollywood. He deserves it. We're talking you know, points off the back end, don't even, right? Yeah. All, I mean, USC Annenberg <laughs> Um, there's a lot of great filmmakers that have come from the school of USC, uh, yeah. but he was a football player at Sacramento State University, mm-hmm. went ahead, went on to go ahead and go down to USC, Annenberg. But one thing, as we see in all three of his now hit and signature films at the age of 31 is he's going to incorporate the Bay Area. He is going to incorporate Oakland. He's going to go home. He's going to go home. He's going incorpor- to go home. And, and that leads me to something that I um, I saw an interview that he did with, on Hot 97. And that's one of the things that he talked about, uh, his approach to directing that I think is so um, pivotal to uh, that opening scene of Oakland and how it was shot, the, the true capturing of Oakland in that, and it's not a long scene. It's not a tremendous scene. But if you are from Oakland or you've been to Oakland or you've lived there long enough and you've seen the people, the culture, you automatically know. That's why the people in those the audience clapped when they saw it, because it did represent that, that, that place to them. But back to what I was saying about his approach is he said that when he directs and when he's telling these stories, he has to give a part of him in it yeah. because that's you, you only know the experiences, you know, and that's how he can make it real. So I thought that was key in bringing that, and I think that added, which we'll, we'll, I know we'll definitely get into more later, of mm-hmm. how I think it added to a lot of the social commentary that was put into this film. Yeah, so let's get as, right As in. well as the philosoph- philosophical commentary as well. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So let's go ahead and get into the film, and let's get into that political commentary. So right in the beginning of the film, we get 1992, we're in Oakland. Got basketball playing going outside with young kids. We get into the apartment scene interior and it happens to go ahead and be probably the darling of all of Hollywood TV right now. Sterling K. Brown. He's here with a a young actor. There are guns in the background. You're kind of invoking some of those feels of the Black Panther Party. Um, You're seeing Oakland, which was the birthplace that was there. 
we're in Black History Month as we're doing this right now. Just quick tidbit. We have our POTUS, Donald Trump, right now getting ready to go ahead and put out a, a budget, a tax plan, which many people are speculating that he's getting ready to go ahead and cut funds from um, basically food stamps as we know it, SNAP benefits here. And it's ridiculous because as anybody that knows their history knows that the early start breakfasts, breakfast for kids in schools that could not afford it was originally started by the Black Panther Party. That's right. So it was not just a party and a group of black men in leather jackets with guns, but there were always still things going on. So Spencer, talk a little bit about the scene and how you felt about it with regards to Sterling K. Brown and tell us a little bit about what also happened in that scene and how you felt about it. First of all, I got to say Sterling was almost almost the best kept secret in oh, the yeah. film. He, yeah. That was uh, another that was just another example of like just my surprise early on in the film uh because even when they mentioned he was going to be in it there really wasn't any discussion about what his I almost role forgot. was. Yeah, very easy. He I mean he wasn't you know you don't see him in the trailer doing anything. I know? did forget. Like he's you know he's not he's not prominent in that. Uh so but you see you know you see these guys okay like you mentioned there's guns um and you know it's like I think it was like maps. A, Almost maps, thought yeah. it was going to be a situation to where T'Challa was coming in and was going to stop them because they were maybe getting ready to try to kill some cops, right? Or there was like drug type of scene involved. It, Didn't know where it was going to go. Yeah, it definitely definitely had like a sinister feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then all of yeah. a sudden, there's like a knock on the door. The uh, uh, younger gentleman, he, you know, he, he looks through. He's like, you know, what's that? He's like, you better go answer it and stuff. <laughs> okay, guy opens the door. And this is another just kind of real that just immediately everyone it just put a smile and everyone was almost pretty much cheering and applauding in the audience. You have uh, two of the uh, warriors of Wakanda, two women. The door Malaje, right yes. there at the door. Right at the door. And for those who, you know, who aren't familiar, who will soon be familiar, these are like the top of the line, the strongest elite warriors that protect Wakanda yeah and, and protect the king and protect the king yeah I extension. mean if if you are a fan um of strong female characters that exist within inside of Hollywood if you are a fan of history if you are a fan of Wonder Woman of history with regard to Amazons we touched upon this in our third episode of the Wakanda report where we talked about the Dormelage basically being taken from the Dahomey women of West Africa and with them being the black Amazons that went ahead and defended uh, the king. So you get these two women that are there as the Dormelage that are right at the door and they are asking questions and they are not to be messed with. So Alana, how did you feel about that scene taking off from the Dormelage when you saw that? I was tense immediately, like it just really grabs you right away. And then I, I, I like the quick little comment that uh, the the younger the younger gentleman says they look is two Grace Jones looking women. <laughs> and I was I was so into that. And also I knew that that meant that I was about to see two beautiful, very dark skinned black mm-hmm. women. And I and it, it delivered. Like it's just there's a there's I think there's a lot to say about about how about about colorism later we can get into that a little yeah. bit more later but i just lo- i love seeing these very dark very beautiful very strong serious women right there for we just don't see them on screen and yeah. they're right there and, right away and we also talked about that uh in our uh fourth episode of the wokana report uh you go ahead and check it out on itunes and soundcloud where we go ahead and talk about how this movie could have possibly existed back in 1998 instead of Blade. And Grace Jones was one of the people that we cast to go ahead and be a member of the Dora Milaje. So it was very interesting that mm. they went ahead and used uh, Grace Jones. So in this scene, then the Dora Milaje, they walk in. They start talking to the two gentlemen that happen to go ahead and be there. And uh, the younger one's confused. The older one, he seems cool with it. And then, boom, we get some language that's happening and we realize that he happens to go ahead and be wakandan and then the black panther go ahead and rolls through so spencer what were you thinking there and kind of take on uh what happened with the rest of the scene when that scene started um as soon as the dormage walked through the door um they you know basically you know case the whole place looked around made sure everything was good they have a move where they just first of all they're moving um in sync the mm-hmm. whole time mm-hmm. they're moving as one and so they just breathe and and everything about them just exudes discipline and regiment and and like kind of like this silent 
calm, but like that you would see from a martial arts master. Oh yeah, that's it. So that's that's immediately what you get from. That's what I was getting from that. So like they they both immediately just like they kind of bang their spirits, and then lights go off, lights come back on, Blackman's just right there, right in front of you. So mm-hmm. you get a nice look now at, and th- again this is 1992, so this is not T'Challa, this is father. Mm-hmm. Um, T'Chaka. T'Chaka. T'Chaka is there. Um, in you know, in his full regalia of uh, Black Panther, just standing in front, and this is the the next reel that comes around because up until this point, the way um, you've been hearing these two actors throw, uh, swimming around and uh, uh, the other gentleman, they're just you know like it's clearly you thinking okay, it's Oakland, it's not going to be you know they're going to be speaking in you know that way. Yeah, accents switch up immediately, you know. So and one of the things they do too, he, he took that knee, yeah. took that knee like Kaepernick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what and that and and the the next reveal around that too was how they how we kind of identify each other, mm. and it's so they just basically pull their lips down and it just shows like basically almost those like code, um mm-hmm. that like uh like a biometric code that's all that's ingrained into their skin you know that lights up only yeah. for people that and, and that was interesting when I saw that because I don't know if it was just in my mind if it was uh from past films that I've seen history books that I've read. It, it was almost like a form of like branding where I thought and invokes more so a chattel slavery type of thing where it's like, okay, you're marking this type of person. But with the way that they did it, revering the level of like pride in doing it, where it was right. all like, okay, well, I'm like, well, shoot, let me do some research on it. Maybe it's all like the colonizers went ahead and stole it from Africans to go ahead and like mark because, um, if you also go ahead and look uh, at Cousin Benji on my Instagram page, we had a uh, post uh, for our lead into this movie, Go Viral, where uh, we discussed in a brief uh, few paragraphs about the history of scarification with Michael B. Jordan's skin mm-hmm. in regards to uh, a lot of the speculation is the suit going to be inside of his skin or is it not or whatever it may be. But uh, that was interesting, but it was really cool to go ahead and see them pull down their lips, show you know, this type of, like, tattoo of sorts, and that was cool. No, certainly. And, you know, just even going into that scene and just looking, as as you already pointed out, just how revered it was, and not even, I got to even, you know, even take it at first as, like, kind of like a branding thing because the, throughout the film, we, it was not any, you know, they had been... There's no negative of, connotation that they no, associate, yeah, or that, no, they, that they gave off with it. So. Yeah, this is how they, they choose to identify. So that's why I didn't take it as, you know, like a... Any negative connotation for that, and that's I thought also, it was part, part of the secrecy of Wakanda, like because it's secret, like that, like that's why it's like that. It's inside, yeah. it's internal. You right. can't see it. Keep, show, it's when shown people, to when you. people say "hush your mouth," mm. and they're just out here, mouth was closed. You know, they had to literally pull down their top lip for you to see it. So then later at the end of the scene, we basically find out that Sterling K. Brown's character happens to go ahead and be the uncle of the current Black Panther, T'Challa. Uh, he is the brother to the king, T'Chaka, which if you follow the comics at all and stuff like that, and we talk about in the very first episode of the Wakanda Report, is the Black Panther is not a person, it's a mantle for the leader of Wakanda, militaristic-wise as well as religious-wise and all those type of things. So as a result of that, um, you have Sterling K. Brown's character. Basically, he's what's considered one of these war dogs. He is on a mission that's there inside of foreign soil to where it's basically Wakanda's version of the CIA. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's fed up. He has found a African-American woman that he has fallen in love with. They have a child. He sees it's 1992. That means we're getting ready for Rodney King. Mm-hmm. We're a few years away from the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, you know, uh, Watts riots are in the past from the 1980s. So as a result, he is seeing the degradation he is seeing the struggle he is seeing the pain that is going on in black america and he knows that he comes from a country that has the resources to not only stop this but allow these people to go ahead and prosper and he unfortunately similar to sometimes the good soldiers that exist within our own military as americans is forced to only follow orders and he is fed up 
and he's trying to go ahead and do something different. And T'Chaka is there to go ahead and stop him as we find out that the other young gentleman that eventually will go ahead and be played by Forrest Whitaker, which awesome job by the casting because that other gentleman seemed like he had a little bit of lazy eye too. Right. <laughs> he, had, he had the Forrest Whitaker eye too. I don't know if they CGI'd it or not, but he had the Forrest Whitaker eye. And I want to just talk about something as well. When you brought up the casting, I thought the casting of T'Chaka the young T'Chaka yeah. was great because he had... I think it was um, almost CGI, though, too. Yeah. I don't know. Let me make a point on you, that. Yeah, Ooh, I don't know, because he had a lot of... I actually have that. Feet. I looked oh, it up. Man. I looked it up. The gentleman playing young T'Chaka, Edwanda Cunny, is the son of John Cunny, who plays oh, old awesome. T'Chaka. That's, They're both actors in South Africa. Because he looked exactly like him. It was Ex- perfect. And that's, and that's what that's I was going to say. What I was gonna say. He, looked, he looked like the, the, the older father one yeah. because it's his son. But he also had a lot of features that were similar to Chadwick Boseman that made me feel right. that they're... You oh know, yeah, that it was very believable. That oh yeah, that is your father. Which it made you realize how great if it was for them to go ahead and cast Jack with Bozeman to go ahead and play exactly John son. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. That means his son is basically like the O'Shea Jackson, the African O'Shea Jackson, because like okay. just when you you know the other seminal black movie that we can think of at least in the last you know two, three, four, five years will go ahead and be the uh, Straight Out of Compton. And O'Shea Jackson mm-hmm. played his father, Ice Cube, and that was really cool. So it's great to see John Kanye, this great African actor, have his son play him in the role. So his son is playing the role of him, T'Chaka. He's there, and he has to go ahead and murder Sterling K. Brown's character, who is the uncle. His brother. His brother. His own blood brother gets into the ship mm-hmm. that is there and then leaves leaves in the young child in Joko who will be later known as Killmonger that is played by Michael B. Jordan. But we don't know that at that point. But we don't know that at that point. But we know from a fact that it's just like, dang, he killed his own brother. His own brother. That's rough. Wakanda forever. That is the one thing is that starts... And puts into motion within those first 10 pages, which are the first 10 pages, the most important pages within side of a screenplay, is at the end of the day, not the Black Panther, not the Dora Milaje, not anything is more important than the protection of Wakanda. So now we're moving on into the next scene. So we end with the with the with the teaser. We move into it and boom. As me happen to go ahead, if you did not peep the name Unanawo, U-N-A-N-A-O-W-O, I am an Oron man from Akwaibum State, and I am Nigerian. So to go ahead and see Nigeria shown once again in a Black Panther movie, which if you go ahead and pop on Marvel's website, there are two languages that are spoken with inside of Wakanda. The first language is Wakanda, and the second language is Yoruba, which that is a tribe that exists within inside of nigeria so uh it was awesome to go ahead and see that what did y'all think about this scene where basically t'challa came down and he said with uh lupita nyong's character nikita we're gonna go ahead and save these girls from boko haram so what did y'all think about that that was a great like the thing the film did i think the best was thread the needle of having social commentary without coming off as preachy yeah and this first scene was a great way to one, not only show the prowess technological skill of uh, black Panther and also introduce uh, Lupita's character, but also show the importance of uh, even on kind of a lower, a small level, despite Wakanda being, you know, like an isolated nation, they were taking the initiative to make sure they're still rescuing other women that were imperiled. And this was probably, and this was also the first example of uh or actually the second example now of how strong black women were in this film mm. and who ultimately in a lot of ways were arguably the main characters of the film oh without a doubt what did you think alana about that um i was into it i like i like that they turned it a little on its head because we know we know he mentions uh t'challa mentions that he's trying to f- find uh nikita in the convoy mm-hmm. and i was like oh he's trying to get her like maybe he's actually trying to rescue her is what i thought i was like okay it's marvel like we're gonna go find uh find nikita but then it turns out she was she was deeply in it and she causes him out for for like intruding on her mission like she was about to finish it by herself and he's all yeah, in there N- nikita has yeah. the um 
She's basically like the uh, she is the Wakandan version mm-hmm. of the Black Widow. Yeah. She is her own yeah. super type of agent. Mm-hmm. Her own her own force, and I I like I like that she's put out by it. Like it was like it was functioning on 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 more than one level, and like we kind of we 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 then learned that that she's an ex of his. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting with Nikita uh, being that because that was another change that happened, which I'm like brilliant because whenever you're dealing with source material. It takes skill to be able to create a level of adaptation to be able to go ahead and change it for the screen. So Nikita, um, in the comic book sense, actually at one point, she's actually a villain known as Malice, which we kind of touch on that a little bit in our episode three of the Wakanda Report when we go ahead and talk about the Dora Milaje. Um, However, in this film, they basically merged her with another character from the comics that we have not touched upon named Monica Lynn, which was an African-American woman that T'Challa ends up following in love with. So we basically merged the Nikita and Monica Lynn type of storyline. And it was like, that's awesome. Which also at the same time, too, um, if you've seen them walking together in real life and stuff, it's just like, I mean, Lupita Nyong is just... Mm-hmm. I can't describe <laughs> like just how like she's gorgeous. She's just regal. Just say gorgeous. She, yeah, I mean, she's she's gorgeous. She's she's regal. She but is. She does have an air about her that is definition just, like of class. Yeah, personified. And she's sunshine. She's joy. Yeah. She's, oh my god. That smile. Yeah. I, but I I do want to ask a question about that scene in particular because playing devil's advocate, looking at it this way. Do you think T'Challa, as well as Adora Milaje, would have rescued them, the, the women, if Nikita wasn't there? Because of scenes that they touched on later that gave the indication that that's not like saving the saving the women was secondary to that mission. Mm-hmm. Getting Nikita to bring back was the the main objective, regardless of where she was at. They would have did that. That's what I'm saying. Like that doesn't it doesn't come off to me necessarily that they would have done that. If Nikita wasn't there, I think for three reasons, they would have gone ahead and done that one. Nikita was already there because she is basically like a watchdog of her own. So that was her own mission. She was going to do it regardless. No, I'm saying, yeah, I agree um, that she would have did it, but I'm saying, yeah, she, she would have as well as no, the rest of the door. Uh, Malaja T'Challa and the, and, and, uh, Okoye, um, the head leader played by Danny Aguario, which many people know her as, um, being a star in the walking dead. They were there because they needed to go ahead and get Nikita. Like, it's already Nikita's job as basically being a double agent and a spy within Wakanda that she was already going to make sure that those women were good regardless. Mm. So that was going to happen, in my opinion, one. Uh, Two, she's she's just, like, awesome, like, at what she goes ahead and and does, like, with being able to go ahead and remove and being able to fight and do all those things. And then three, it's one of those things where it's like, I think there is a level of connection between – the between Nigeria and Wakanda because they constantly are there. That's the whole reason why T'Challa's father went to the UN was to basically apologize for the things that happened with Wakovia and what happened with Nigeria. Moving on into the uh, next part here. So we go ahead and then we are greeted with, we get a chance to go ahead and see the Black Panther on a ship with Okoye and they are coming into Wakanda and it's, awesome it's futuristic beautiful it's beautiful you see these high skyscrapers but then at the same time you see this level of like earth and like trees and everything going up them and you're like oh is this like almost like a a a gorilla nest or like you know it's like it's really dope so what did y'all think about that it was the personification and symbol of black utopia yeah simple and plain and and it it went they went through great pains to to really demonstrate that because that's a very i also f- find that kind of like a great like kind of thread line to to walk because the people who you should be including in the conversation when you're designing something like that are africans this is afro futurism like that's mm-hmm. exactly what the personification what does the future look like and not just okay if our black people are just going to be there but in the case of black people already won and this is what the future is for that for everyone this is how you know you, it's that that community aspect yeah that was right there so that came across immediately and the technological advancements from from the get-go it was just like that was you know it, it just stood out around everything else yeah. it was shiny it was summery, and everything was just smooth it it was the dream of what many african-americans 
after we watched a movie like Back to the Future. And you think of time travel. And I don't know how many times I was in school and you'd just be like to people where it's like, man, if I had a time machine, I'll go back in time and I'll free the slaves. Well, I had a time machine, I go back in time and I like make sure that they didn't take none of us from Africa. And it's like literally that was like the epitome of like, this is what things would look like if colonization and if racism from a white supremacist standpoint never existed and people could just be. And that's what it brought up for me is when I saw that scene, it made me sad, but it also made me hopeful. And that's one of the things that I also walked away from the film like as we'll go through and we'll see why that, that came with it. But it, it, that scene, it was a blend of spiritual and technological combined together with nature. Uh, if you're not a spiritual person and you, you know, you believe more in nature, like that aspect of it all together, um, I just felt refreshing and something that was different than we've ever seen in other movies. When we do see future, is very is very hard is very rigid is very uh, smooth in 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 that aspect but there is really no green no earth no texture oh, yeah. no but yeah. we got that here um and just the just the vibe of even the inner workings of the city um as as when you had um uh T'Challa and uh Nikita walking through the markets and you're seeing like yeah. just that whole feel it was just it like i said it was it was it was sad in the aspect of like, I wish I can experience this. I wish that, you know, I, this is, it felt for me that that's how white people walk through the world. Is is that that feeling of, you know, we're here, we're home. This is like, there there is no, I need to fit in or I need to feel like, or I need to try to make this my home. It is. Yeah. And that's, that was something that was sad about it, but it was also hopeful that maybe we can get there. Yeah, it was amazing to go ahead and see the market see them walk through it as you just talked about um and i totally will harp on that standpoint where you're just talking about the uh fact that you saw greenery because i just got done you know earlier this winter watching the latest blade runner film and i love sci-fi and i love the dystopian futures and stuff like that but this was a future where it's like there was nothing dystopian about it it, it was just like it's here and now how did you feel about it elena um, yeah, I was going to bounce off of actually what all of you have said, the utopia aspect. That was Spencer's word. I think it's a perfect word. Not dystopia, utopia. And then um, I had a lot of complicated feelings as well, taking it in as a as a as a white person. What what if what if the white hands of pillaging and destruction had never touched Africa? What if we what if we had never touched Africa? What would it, what would it have been like? Like this dream um, It was very powerful, really powerful. And then. The other, the other thing I was thinking of is what you see in Wakanda is, you know, Africa is the cradle of civilization, the development of, of man, the evolution of, of the human race literally is, is, is an African in, in origin. And you see the way that Wakanda values tradition, um, history and culture, and they have improved and been technological only where necessary mm. and everything that served as it was is retained like the the method of choosing the monarch worked for centuries why fuck with it like why disturb it and you don't you don't see that in sort of the the western concept of futurism or development it's it's erase it all it's replace all yeah and you and there's this beautiful it's this beautiful integrated sense of culture in the wakanda that we're shown on screen with these an ancestral elements combined with futurism so yeah. like yeah afrofuturism perfect concept so perfect word perfect segue into the fact when we're talking about the ancestral afrofuturism that exists with keeping on to the past and moving forward traditions t'challa is basically back here and he's here to go ahead and be crowned king so we get a chance to learn the fact that there are in the very opening scene of the movie even before we get to the 1992 there is the fact that there's a meteorite that comes from space it drops down we have vibranium it is a precious metal that is one of the most rarest things was inside the universe, not just Earth, but the universe in its own right. So as a result, the first Black Panther, we figure out with which we donned and talked about in our Wakanda Report episode one is the Black Panther is a mantle. He is not a person. He is a mantle for his people to go ahead and, and follow behind. And you got the first Black Panther 
that then trusted in Basque, which Basque, if you've done any type of research in history and stuff like that, is a god that exists with inside Egyptians. So, yeah, right. Yes. I caught that too. Yeah. Super, super cool to go ahead and do that. So we move forward and we find out that it's like, all right, T'Challa's here to go ahead and be crowned king. He's going to be the next person, the mantle of the Black Panther, because his father has died at the end of Captain America's Civil War. And then, boom, we find out tribes. We go ahead and get uh, Daniel Kaluma from Get Out. He happens to be a part of a tribe that is a strong, like, warrior uh, race-type tribe that's there. We get the River Tribe. We see their leader with the lip disc showing, like, that level of, like, Afrocentrism that exists. And then all the other tribes are there. T'Challa thinks, I'm about to go ahead and just go ahead and become the king. But no. Run unopposed. Run unopposed. But there was no unopposed run going on here. He had the carpet sweeped right from under him, just like that sister that was mayor for a day or two in San Francisco. If you're in the Bay here, you know what I'm talking about. London Breed. <laughs> London Breed. Uh, they set her up for the Okie Doke, and the Jabari tribe tried to go ahead and set up T'Challa for the Okie Doke. So the Bari tribe comes through. We find out in the opening credit scenes, they're up in the mountains. They are basically ultimate traditionalists. They are the full-on conservatives of how Wakanda is supposed to be run. And Luddites a little bit, too. Re- rejecting of the technology. Rejecting the technology. Mm-hmm. So they come down, played by Winston Duke. This is his first feature film. Brother's about six foot five. Mm-hmm. He looks like he should go ahead and be starting for the Dallas Cowboys, and then maybe America really could be great again since the Cowboys are America's team. Uh, <laughs> and he's out there, and he's challenging, and he's letting T'Challa know, I'm here. I want to go ahead and challenge for the throne. I have a royal bloodline. This is probably the first time that their people have stepped down here, and they get into the fight right there at Warrior Falls, and it is brilliant. And you have the Dora Milaje, and you have the Jabari tribe constantly closing in inch by inch with their spears as the ground that they're battling on gets tighter and tighter. What did you think about that, Spencer? Okay, so a few things to unpack in that, that scene. One, when we see all these different tribes, the other thing that is accentuated immediately is just the vibrancy of the colors from the clothes that they're wearing mm. and how each each one is basically taking kind of different parts of, of different African traditions and, and people and cultures. So you saw East African there, certainly West Africa, um, particularly with some of the accents that we hear uh, mm-hmm. that become more prominent. Um, and definitely, as you as you mentioned too, like the whip rings and, and, and definitely the neck, neck rings as well. Neck like rings the, as well, all, yeah. All Okoye, yeah. constantly rocking the neck rings. Exactly, exactly. So you see all these elements there. And you also get a chance now too during the scene, um, right even right before they fight, you uh, get to hear uh, T'Challa's little sister start kind of make jokes and you see her witty side. Mm-hmm. And and just that she is in some cases, um, you can tell that she's younger when she's you know she's there for the tradition, but part of her she's like oh, I'm kind of bored of this. I don't want to be here. Let's wrap it up. I want to. We already know what's going to happen. Let me get out this course. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, Shuri. Shuri, um, which has been. Uh, if you follow the comic books at all, she is on the same level of intellect, actually a little bit higher uh, in certain regards since the fact that she knows how to deal with vibranium than Tony Stark. So she is an absolute genius. The the battle ensues. T'Challa is damn near getting his ass whooped out here. He gets stabbed like just a couple of spots away from his heart, but is able to go ahead and recover. Um uh, ends up catching a UFC type of like arm drag to the ground, gets uh, M'Baku inside of a triangle choke, asking him to go ahead and yield. And finally, M'Baku goes ahead and hits it with a tap. Big John McCarthy calls it, and it's over. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, T'Challa is the victor round three at five minutes and 15 seconds into the third round. And he is the king of Wakanda. So um, we get that moment, and then we have uh, the final, the ceremony that actually happens. Because prior to that, basically, the Black Panther has a herb, a heart-shaped herb that is embedded with vibranium that gives him his superpowers and his speed and agility that we saw on prominence and display with inside of Captain America Civil War. So then 
he has to lose those powers to go ahead and fight M'Baku for it to go ahead and be a fair fight. Then now after winning, they go through the ceremony. He is buried completely in red dust, looking as deep in red as Georgia Clay. He has been given his powers back in the form of his heart-shaped herb in liquid. And then he goes off into the nether realm into uh, a place to go ahead and see the ancestors. What did y'all think about that scene where he saw his ancestors? I loved everything about the setting for the place and 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 how they just spent just a brief amount of time, but they made sure to pay attention to the details of how they uh, separated and and moved into ceremonies. And one of the things I thought was really interesting about it too is uh, as the uh, T'Challa is going into um, the spiritual realm, uh, and he's getting covered over with um, like as you said, like almost res. Georgia, uh, Georgia Clay. That's also they. That's also taken from the same idea. Um, I actually seen that in DC in Vertigo with uh, John Constantine when he would go actually mm. go visit hell. That was the same way. He had, in order to go visit, he had to get buried in a grave and get covered over in a grave. Yeah. And it was like the same process as like he's not actually dead when he gets. Yes, he's getting you know buried alive, but they're breathing at such a small rate and just um, in like basically in a deep trance and deep meditative state that they're able to, you know, transcend and go into the spiritual realm. And that's I that immediately clicked with me. I was like, I know I've seen that before and like that whole that whole concept and idea before. So seeing that actually on the on the screen stuff, I'm like, wow, that you know, it seemed they definitely did the homework for that. Mm. What were your thoughts, Elena? Um, I love the spirituality of it. I love the display of communing with ancestors as an act of worship mm. um and an act of bringing the tribes together and it kind of kind of going a little bit back to the the fight um and then into this scene as well the segue into this scene like you got you got to see the full sort of 360 view of how the monarch should ascend like mm -hmm. who who like you could see some of the sort of the democratic process of each tribe is allowed to object and put up a warrior um and then like, I just, I love how smart the film was. Like, they didn't have Forrest Whitaker, like, explain what was going to happen. They just showed it to us. And then having Show each, rather than tell. Having each tribe's guard close the, the size of the field as they're competing. Like, you could see this is part of ancient rules. It's always been done this way. And how is it going to be fair? Both of, both of the guards will shrink the field. It's not, it's not just the challenger. It's not just the, the, yeah. the, the, the king on, on the throne. And then, um going back into the scene we were just touching on sort of the, the, the continuation, like you just put your body at risk. Now you're going to put your soul at risk um, to really be tested fully before you're going to go ahead and keep the, the crown of, of Wakanda and the identity of the black Panther. And I loved, I, I loved them. I loved when he got to see his father because one of the things that killed me the most in, in civil war was uh, the loss of T'Chaka and, and watching um, T'Challa, grieve for him pick him up hold him yeah um and seem that that you would see your lost parent in the in the spiritual plane it was just gorgeous i was already crying it was it was amazing it was beautiful. Yeah. and, and I, I just want to say um I, I thought that was important as well is like you said the 360 the the full compass of it and that it's not just about physical strength it's also about the mental strength as well as the emotional balance mm. of of dealing with seeing your your dead your dead parent you know um and, and being able to come back some people might take that negative you know like i want to i still want to be with you and so when you get back you know not having that uh emotional strength to to persevere and realize you know yeah you do miss your father or you do miss your parent but you have a country you have to take care of you have to foster you have these people that are relying on you that is bigger than you and that it's not just your personal connection that, you know, it is about your spiritual connection to the entire country as a whole, um, I thought, as well as it was visually shot so beautifully. What, one other point off of that, it, it does remind me of some other sort of thematic material you see when someone is meditating, when they're having a test. A lot of the times it's like, you will see what you need to see in order to move on. And what did he need to see? He needed to see his father. He needed to express to his father that it's not that I can't be king, it's that I can't be king without you still with me. And Pleasure. it was just like, what do, what do you see when you're released into a space like that? Like he's, he's taken the drug, he's packed into the earth and like he, he sees what he needs to see. And that is also very powerful. I liked that a lot. Um, so we, we get the heart shaped drug. He, he's on his way and then boom, 
now let's get we get into the beginning kind of the second act of the film and this is where we get michael b jordan mm. and we get killmonger and he is uh standing inside of the british museum of art which as we know if you're any person of color from around the world, some of your lineage and your history exists inside the British Museum of Art. Um, if you, you know, are from South America, from the United States of America, from the continent of Africa, and you happen to have the money and resources to be able to go ahead and travel up to um, England and go ahead and see your culture firsthand, you can go ahead and do that. Can we can we also note for the fact that the scene went straight from Wakanda that has never been colonized or conquered directly to Britain. The Bit- colonizer the of co- colonizers. The colonizer. The sun will never set on the British Empire, which was a great line that was actually used later on by Killmonger to basically yeah, say that the sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. We'll get into that. But so scene happens. He's there. He's observing art. You know, out here living his best life, as folks like to say. And um, the uh, person that is showing him all these things, she's having a little bit of a cough, a little control. And we find out that he has poisoned her. He has a whole setup going on working with Ulysses Claw, who Ulysses Claw is basically the Osama bin Laden to Wakandans. He has caused more havoc and wreck than any other person in Wakanda because one, he knows about their history, knows where they exist, has murdered people within inside of a plot where he stole vibranium. We get a chance to see some of the vibranium that he had stolen. Four tons. Yeah, four tons. We see some of it stolen when we look at Age of Ultron inside of that movie, um, branded for it. And uh, we see Killmonger out here working with him. And the scene ends... All these things go on, and then it goes ahead and moves us to uh, South Korea. So we get this type of James Bond type of feel that we have going on with the Dora Milaje, with the Koye, with Nikita basically showing her worth. She happens to know what's going on. Claw comes in. We have the goons. We have the poker chips flying. We have a full battle going on. Then it moves on into the race, which we get this really cute scene with basically... Uh, Shuri showing her intellectual might by the fact that she's created a system for her to control cars from her own lab. What did y'all think about this scene? I thought this was dope. Brilliant. Another unexpected thing. It was just like, it just was right on top of each other. And this was, there were three things that happened in, in your uh, description that stood out to me. Uh, The first thing was with Michael B. Jordan's opening scene, when he's he's talking to the curator or the other woman um, that's showing him around he immediately acknowledges and takes a point out to make when it comes to um, stealing artifacts, as you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. He points it out directly to her. Um, and that was another thing that got, you know, a round of applause <laughs> when we, we <laughs> oh, were watching yeah. immediately. It just, everyone, he, him calling it out immediately and just kind of showing the hypocrisy in terms of, um, you know, saying like, hey, you can't take this from the museum. He's like, well, <laughs> did, where did you guys take this from? And immediately acknowledging that. So that social commentary there Again, just th- walking that tightrope, but still keep saying enough in a, a short scene. So that was that. Next, when we go into the actual fight scene, Okoye just showed out, and that was oh. that was the first time that you really got to see, um, uh, like her as a warrior, as a general, as the best fighter, just literally just take everyone down. And she park. wasn't fighting zombies in this movie. No. <laughs> there were some real goons, and she was taking them down. No problem. No problem. So how did you feel about that, Elena, with just seeing the empowerment of Okoye just basically going ham? Oh, my God. I, lo- I loved it because we're going on this hyper-dangerous mission, uh, trying to trying to encounter the number one enemy of the state of Wakanda, um, Claw. And who are we bringing? We're, we're bringing two women, and we're accepting it as fact. Who should I have with me on this mission where I need my life to be protected? These two. These two women. And then they, they show... They show immediately what like you're right into it. Why are they why are they there? And her using uh Akoya using a spear is just so fucking perfect. Like she is one with that spear. It is an extension of her arm. She is everywhere with that spear. Like the, no one no one can touch her. It's it's uh, it's it's just outstanding. And and she she's go- she's gorgeous the whole time, but it's oh, just yeah. like Oh, she's on. Um, and she had to go ahead and shed that wig because she walked in. She was like, I don't want this wig on my head. <laughs> and she got to shedding that wig and she got to fighting. And it was awesome. 
So they eventually go ahead and they capture uh, Claw. He happens to go ahead and be inside a lockup. And then, boom, we get Michael B. Jordan back again. C4 against the uh, wall. Explosion happens. He ends up getting freed. But before that happens, to me, what is going on inside of the movie is secretly the real kind of villain, which happens to be the United States of America, led by, if you have read any of the comics, especially from Christopher Priest, the African-American that took over for the run inside the 1990s after Stan Lee uh, was done with the comic series for the Black Panther. Christopher Priest had a white antagonist protagonist at times known as Everett K. Ross, who happens to go ahead and basically be the head kind of State Department CIA liaison, and he knows everything Woke Condon. And uh, he's there, and he's just like, oh, you know, I've got my men here. T'Challa kind of stay out of my way. And T'Challa's just like, look, bruh, I'm the king now. Like, you may have thought I'm my father. I'm not my father. I'm going to do what I want to do. You've been warned. You've been warned. He told him that explicitly. You've been warned. Um, so... Scene moves uh, fast. Unfortunately, Everett K. Ross ends up getting clipped in the spine. It's looking all bad for him. Um, They're able to go ahead and get away with Claw is the uh, outfit that takes him led by Killmonger. And then we have two diverging scenes where we've got them trying to save Everett K. Ross by taking him to Wakanda, which at the start, I'm just like, why are you Everyone taking... Everyone was shocked. I was like, why are you taking this white man here? <laughs> Don't do that. There was there was audible <laughs> moaning in, in the voice when they saw that. Like, what is going on? And, and with the perfect intuition, a sprinkle of Oprah, a slab a little bit of uh, Ava DuVernay, and just like a pinch, you know what I'm saying, of, um, you know, bell hooks. It was basically said, Okoye came out and said, do not bring this man <laughs> back to Wakanda. But T'Challa had to go ahead and assert his patriarchy. Because and his say, ex wanted it, I'm just saying. Yeah, because his ex wanted him. And he had to assert his patriarchy. He said, look, I'm the king. This is what we doing. This is what we rolling with. Hey, what's up, guys? This is D-Ray. I'm not the king, but this is what we're rolling with. That concludes the end of part one of the Wakanda Report Black Panther review. We will have part two that will be released next Friday, which would be Friday the 23rd. And then definitely check back again in March. On March 2nd, we're going to have another Let's Talk About It segment with Collaborate, where he discusses and breaks down his music as well as his latest project, Real Person. So again, thank you for listening to another Stay Woke podcast. And definitely come back and listen to part two where we get more in-depth of in the second half of Black Panther. Um, and we break down a, a little bit more and go into more depth about social, the social commentary that was very evident and prominent on this movie.